Hey, Pitchfork listeners, we're working on another Ask Me Anything episode, and we need your questions for Nick and the team. What do you want to know? Call us at 731-388-9334, leave us a voicemail asking your question, and we might just answer it on our next AMA episode of Pitchfork Economics. Again, that's 731-388-9334. Looking forward to hearing your questions. We get to talk to another class trader. That's right. We're going to talk to Jafar Shalchi, who is a Danish entrepreneur and the founder of Millionaires for Humanity. Rich people say I'm self-made. I always say that's bullshit because uh, nobody is self-made. How popular is your view among your peers in Denmark? It's certainly got to be more popular than my peers here in the United States. <laughs> yeah, but you will be surprised. From the home offices of Civic Ventures in downtown Seattle, this is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer, the best place to get the truth about who gets what and why. I'm Nick Hanauer, founder of Civic Ventures. I'm David Goldstein, senior fellow at Civic Ventures. So, Nick, on this week's episode, we get to talk to another class trader. That's right. That's right. They, they come from all over. And uh, we're going to talk to Jafar Shalchi, who is a Danish entrepreneur and uh, the founder of Millionaires for Humanity, a network of wealthy people who are advocating for raising taxes on wealthy people. Uh, he's a super interesting, cool guy and definitely a fellow traveler. Yeah, and it's great timing, too, because uh, Biden's uh, tax plan has just been revealed, and it looks like he's going to propose uh, eliminating the the part of the Trump tax cut that lowered taxes on right. rich people like you. So there's going to be a slight raise in the top uh, marginal rate of the income tax from 37 to 38.6%. And the bigger news is um, essentially the elimination of the uh, preferred rate for capital gains. You would be paying capital gains tax at that top rate That's as right. well. And I just got to ask you, Nick, I mean, if they eliminate that tax break for capital gains, where will you have the incentive to speculate in Bitcoin? <laughs> exactly. Uh, I yeah. mean, that sounds terrible. It does. Uh, it's it going does. to destroy our entire crypto economy. It will. It will. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've been a big advocate for a long time of equalizing income from uh, investing and income from work. And just to, just to be clear, he's not wholesale proposing I increasing the, the cap gains rate. Uh, it's on income above a million a year. Right. Uh, so for a lot of people who have a capital gain, you know, it will continue to be a relatively low rate. It's just for folks who make tens of millions or hundreds of millions or billions in some sort of capital gains windfall, they would have to pay at, at a rate equaling the rate that, you know, a firefighter has to pay on their, on their, on their hard-end earned income too. I think that's totally appropriate, and I don't think at all it will disincentivize people from starting companies and trying to build wealth. In fact, using the usual neoliberal logic, it will make people work harder because now you will have to work 25% harder to yeah. make the same amount of money. So all those rich people 
like me, will now have to work even harder to create wealth, uh, which is what the incentive system is supposed to do. And you've made another point over over the years, Nick, that when you get to when you, when you're as rich as you are, it's not about what you can buy with all that extra money. It's really just scorekeeping. That's right. right. It's how much you have relative to other people that matters. And this is why I think that a reasonable increase in the tax rates that wealthy people pay isn't going to be isn't going to have a material difference on anybody's lifestyle. At, at the end of the day. Uh, the society will be better off, but you know there will still be a pecking order. And you know if one hundred million dollar apartments in New York City now can only fetch sixty million because people <laughs> have to pay a little bit more tax, the same people will be buying those apartments, but the world will not be worse off as a consequence. Right. I mean. Maybe some property developer will be slightly worse off, but well, worse off in an accounting sense, but yes. not in a not, not in right. a real lived no. experience sense. Like, like that's right. If Jeff Bezos has to pay more capital gains tax when he sells some shares, uh, to you know, there will be no difference in his no life. difference in his lifestyle, and right. and it's, and same with you. I mean, it, it's not right. just the billionaires; it's the the multimillionaires. It's, yeah. No, it won't won't make a big difference. You know, we'll have slightly less and it'll be fine and we'll 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 get by it. But the cool thing is is that by reinstating some corporate taxes and reinstating some taxes on wealthy people, you could pay for like, you know, to the extent that you need to pay for these things, right. you could absolutely pay for, you know, for instance, the American Family Plan that the Biden administration is proposing, which is 1.5 trillion in new spending uh, to fight poverty and reduce childcare costs and big pre-K and community college free for all, and you know, like there's a lot of really incredible things that that money can go for. Uh, that you know, honestly, I, I truly believe will will improve the lived experience for every American. Right. You know, it's just it's nice to live in a society where people are not living on the street. <laughs> and 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 you you raised an interesting point there. You also said to the extent that we need to pay for it. And we've talked about this on the yeah. podcast that right now we're in a situation where we can afford to do a lot of things regardless of the taxes. Uh, we can afford to run large deficits right now to make the investments we need to yeah. without worrying about inflation. That said, there is an economic, political, and social good that comes from closing the huge wealth yeah. and income uh, inequality gaps just in and of itself. That's right. Raising taxes on the wealthy even if we don't need the money, yeah, is a net positive because it is that huge and growing inequality that is corrupt and dangerous to a functional democracy. That's right. And when you you know when you have a class of people who live entirely different lives from the vast majority and have so much wealth and power, it's just not good for any society. And you know the other thing is is that there's this very pervasive neoliberal view that you know taxing the rich is somehow punishing them and it's all about envy but the truth is that human beings were evolved to be social creatures mm -hmm. and we judge ourselves in relation to one another and 
the higher amount of inequality that you have in a society, the farther apart you stretch the rungs of the ladder of opportunity so that people can't climb up that ladder. They basically have to leap from rung to rung. And it just gets harder and everybody gets, you know, more antagonized. And and that sense that the system is rigged and there's no possibility of moving up that ladder is what drives all of the cynicism and hate and uh, political polarization we find in our society. And there's a reason that places like Sweden and Denmark are just more socially stable than the United States. And that is that the vast majority of citizens feel like the system works for them and they have a big stake in it. And that's the high order bit, I think, for the United States right now is to persuade at least two thirds of the country that uh, the system works pretty well and treats most people fairly and is worth supporting. But uh, given that, it will be fun to talk to another person who feels strongly like wealthy citizens uh, should contribute more to the common good. Yeah. And and uh, just to beware to listeners, uh, Jafar is uh, zooming from Denmark. So if the audio quality is a little uh, shaky at times, please, please forgive us. My name is Jaffa Shelchi. Uh, I was born in 61 in Tehran, Iran. But uh, when I was only eight years old, my mama took me and my four siblings to uh, Austria, Vienna first for one year, and then uh, Copenhagen. So I live in Scandinavia for the last five decades. I'm a building engineer and uh, work in the real estate. So I make uh, properties, uh, apartments, and so on. And in 2015, at the same time that uh, we had the 17 SDG goals adopted the UN, we started our foundation called Human Act. And we are now pursuing this by a new network called Millionaires for Humanity. So Jafar, like me, uh, you've been outspoken about uh, advocating for higher taxes on the rich. What's wrong with us? Uh, yeah, you mean what's wrong with us people, no, human beings? You and me. <laughs> no, you, the, I, yeah. the two of you, yeah, class yeah. traitors. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you know what? I just think that we are not civilized yet. And the rich people uh, are just, uh, they have this uh, sickness called, called greed. We cannot have enough. Uh, we just have to have more until we destroy our planet. So uh, that is uh, some of the things that is wrong with us. <laughs> so, uh, and we are very good to uh, manipulating the governments, manipulating the tax system. Some of us don't pay at all in taxes. So I could actually go on for hours of uh, what is wrong with us. So uh, we've had uh, on the podcast before, uh, Abigail Disney, who was born into wealth and is advocating for higher taxes on the wealthy. That's not your story. You you weren't born into it. Tell us a bit uh, about uh, how you built your own wealth and how much of that was your, your own initiative and how much of that was the society you were raised in. Yeah, first of all, she is a wonderful woman. I met her in New York in 2019, and she's also inspired me of what I am doing today. As I told you before, uh, I came to Denmark when I was only eight, nine years old. Uh, and soon after we came to Denmark, actually, my parents divorced. So the first year I was an orphanage with my siblings. And then after with my mother, find a job. 
uh, as a hotel cleaner. We get back to her and uh, live with my mother, with, with our mother uh, the rest of the time. But the, the incredible thing was that we was just placed in one of the most beautiful places on this planet. Uh, and it was Copenhagen, a part of Scandinavia, where we have that we call the welfare system. As my mother said, you can uh, do whatever you uh, want to do because uh, the society, the welfare system in uh, Denmark, you can have free education, healthcare system, you have good security, good workers, and so on and so on. So I just got to school and worked hard and uh, became a building engineer and started my own uh, business in uh, 99 after I have worked for more than 10 years in a big uh, building company to learn the job. So I will say uh, that the, the society, many generations before me, that had built the system in Denmark as a big part of it. So when I hear especially rich people say I'm self-made, I always say that's bullshit because uh, nobody is self-made. Everybody is uh, directed by the society, their friends, and so on and so on. And in Scandinavia, we have the system to thank for. So it was just, uh, for me, normal to give back and do the right thing. Of course, uh, we made the, I, I worked hard and so on. So really have, we really have the American dream in Scandinavia. Yeah. So self-made like Donny Deutsch is self-made. <laughs> yeah. that was very that was actually quite funny when i uh, yeah would you <laughs> would you tell saying, that story it's just so good it's so yeah, good the story is actually that one of our friends in the, the u.s that uh, told me that uh, he was the national television in the u.s and said that yeah he used denmark as a you know a scaring picture and that he was communist and uh, that the u.s should never look like denmark and i said hey i had to read to do something about this. So I just sit down and uh, put some words on the paper and uh, got it out the social media. And it just get, yeah, I think more than 100,000 likes. And uh, it was all about, the, he didn't know anything about what's going on in Denmark or in Scandinavia. And he don't know anything about the welfare system. But I think the key point here was that the your, your antagonist, this guy, Donnie Deutsch, in his interview on Bill Maher, said, you know, my dad was a cop and I, we worked hard and here I am. But the truth is his dad may have been a cop, but after that, he started and ran a giant advertising company that his son inherited largely. And that's where his success came from. Not yeah, exactly. from, so. you know, like it just <laughs> was so disingenuous. I was shocked when I heard what he has to say, but uh, yeah. what can you do? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was just kind of funny. But he didn't, he never, I invited him actually to come to Copenhagen, but he yeah. never answered me. And I tried some several times, but yeah, let's see. It's a funny story, uh, but it is, I think, deeply typical of the view that people have about themselves. And, you know, psychologists will tell you, and this is paraphrasing, that everyone needs to be the hero of their own story. And so people create narratives around their success that make it moral. And the richer you are, the bigger that story needs to be to justify the circumstances you find yourself in. And so it's really hard for people to admit that the ridiculous success that they have may not be a consequence of 
their own actions or you know their own efforts or talents and mostly as a consequence of circumstances or luck or birth or whatever it is to be clear this is true of all people not just rich people people always tell stories about themselves in this way but this whole hey we worked hard and deserve it story is very very you know like that's a very common theme yeah i think you're totally right because it's so hard you know to stand in the morning and see yourself in the mirror when you're brushing your teeth and yeah. just don't you don't like to see the truth you know you you like to make this narrative that you know creating something else but the truth because the truth can be so hard to see yeah. especially if you are very rich and doing nothing yeah while we're talking about Donny Deutsch, in his words, uh, can we move on a little bit to fucking Denmark? Yeah. And <laughs> as he referred to your country, um, let's talk a little bit there. As a, as a rich person living in fucking Denmark, how high are your fucking taxes? I pay uh, uh, more than 50%. And then uh, from the last of what I'm earning, I can go as high as uh, something like 70%. And what's it like to live in a in a country like that that taxes you at such a high rate? Uh, what do you get in return for it? I get in return, I don't see people sleeping in the streets like I see in many other countries, in US and New York and Rome and so on. We don't leave anybody behind in Denmark. Everybody can make a pretty decent uh, living. And uh, we have security that is uh, extremely important for everybody. And we have a balanced world, you know, where uh, everybody can come to my home. I don't have any locks on my garden, it's just flowers. Uh, anybody can come just uh, right in. So that kind of thing you can't buy for money. That's some of it. And then uh, of course, everybody can go to schools, healthcare and so on. And that's why we are always among the top 10 in the world and the happiest, happiness report come out every year. We always uh, compare with each other, uh, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, and uh, the taxes uh, in those countries are the highest in the world. So that is something maybe other countries could look into and say, hey, what is going on in Scandinavia? Right. And, no, and let's sure. be clear, these are democracies. If people there were really unhappy paying such high taxes, they'd vote, the, they'd vote people out and go for lower taxes. But it's not controversial in Denmark, right? I mean, this is this is the norm, and people accept it and embrace it. Yeah, because because they can see they get something back of it, you know. They can see there's some public good that they get, and they can see uh, I can see I get high qualified workers for my uh, business. They come, they're healthy, they're clever, and uh, when everything is okay at home, then they can, uh, you know. Yeah, I can activate them another way than if uh, I was living in Africa in a country, you know, where the health system is another thing and so on. So uh, we get a lot of a lot of things back from our tax money. And uh, nobody is escaping from uh, Scandinavia because we are paying high taxes. You know, one of the things you said that I really liked was it better to have happy taxpayers than generous philanthropists. I think I think you're right. But tell tell us why you think that. It's pretty simple, you know, the total uh, philanthropy globally is only about $24, $25 billion. It's not enough to at all address the global problems. Just to take the gap, uh, the 17 SDG goals, 
you have a financial gap of three trillion dollars. So what can 24 billion do? And many of the philanthropy work is mostly going, you know, to the art or sport and uh, so on. Yeah. Uh, but we need first of all to save the one billion people who are living under two dollars per day, the extreme poverty. And another thing, numbers that always pain me so much is that we have six million children under six years that die every year because of poverty. And that is so extreme, the high number, and nobody's talking about it. And you can easily remove that by a simple 1% wealth tax on the top 1%. So, yeah, globally. Yeah, globally. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what your the philanthropy number you used was, but I think you said 27 billion. That, that must be for one, for a particular globe, global giving in one dimension. Certainly, philanthropy is bigger than that, but it does pale in comparison to the problems that we face as a nation or as a, as a you know in the world. And certainly, you know, in, in the United States, only approximately 50 billion dollars annually is given away for things, uh, ph ph philanthropy focused on things associated with poverty. But the $15 minimum wage, for instance, that the delta between what people are paid now or and paid then would be, you know, in the in the $400 billion a year range. So that the basic point is that as generous as some people may be, or they may appear to be, the size of the problems are always so much larger than the scale of philanthropy available to uh, address them that you know you just can't get there uh, any other way if you really want if you really want to address these problems yeah exactly Nick. and the other thing is that uh, we have to see this globally because our climate change problems don't know any borders our huge inequality and extreme poverty don't know any borders we have africa very close to europe and we don't address those problems, we will have a security problem. We will have people that uh, just will run over. So uh, we have to do something to address that. And that's why I think our 17 SDG goals uh, has to be addressed now that every country has signed it in 2015. We just yeah. have to find the money for it. And actually at 1% of the top 1% is close in three years to be about 300 trillion and so one percent is all is three trillion actually wow. is enough so yeah if you look at the credit suisse's report the total wealth on this planet is about 400 trillion and the top one percent is closing up to have about 300 of it so it's it's just uh, so big numbers and uh, it's just not right that big big money is in the hands of few people so tell us about the experience of the COVID pandemic on both your thinking and life in Denmark. I mean, certainly here in the United States, it made it ever more obvious how big the gaps are and how many people uh, are living sort of, you know, hand to mouth, how, fr how fragile the economic lives of people are here. But in, in Denmark, they're less fragile. So t tell us how that evolved your thinking yeah it's less but uh, still uh, i can see the last three and four decades in denmark or in scandinavia the welfare system is slowly going down because you also have uh, the trickle down economic where all the, the benefits go to people like us like me yeah. 
And uh, under the pandemic, uh, it has been more clearly now, also in Denmark, that why is that all that money going to the top one or ten or top ten percent, and why is not benefiting everybody? So when I was talking about these issues in 2016, 17, 18, it was really pretty hard to get through this huge noise and through the media. But uh, in 2020, when the pandemic came, it suddenly, you know, was quite easier to get out there. And when our prime minister in Denmark just get the question a few months ago, how much have we used? And she said, yeah, we just borrowed $100 billion to address this problem. And the question was, who is going to pay this? And that was all of us, of course. So, you know, we, we still have the problems and we, we have a lot of small business that is in trouble in Denmark. And not so bad as the U.S., but uh, still, uh, the most of the money goes to the top, also in Denmark, unfortunately. So, what do you say to uh, other wealthy people who who say they don't want to be taxed because they would rather choose to give their own money away? They want to decide where it goes. What's your what's your rejoinder to that? We can't have a society where the rich people decide who should have the money and who should not have the money and how society should run. You have to have the public good. You have to have some kind of welfare system. So uh, I don't believe in philanthropy. I do it, and it's beautiful. We should do it. But uh, to solve our common problems, uh, we need a systematic change. We need a tax, and we need to address that. Is it morally right that we have uh, people with that kind of money in their hands today? There's a lot of things to think about, I think, uh, how the system has run the last uh, four decades. How popular is your view among your peers in Denmark? It's certainly got to be more popular than my peers here in the United States. <laughs> but I just, I wonder. Yeah, but you will be surprised. Uh, it's actually, I will say, nearly the same or somebody, or maybe it's a little bit bad because uh, the rich people in Scandinavia are saying, hey, our taxes are high. Why should we pay more? And when I say, listen, the last three, four decades, the taxes has gone down on us, like 20% down minimum. And the total taxes may be something like between 35 to 40% down. I would say uh, it's pretty much the same, actually. It's a really hard job to get them uh, get around this. It's not easy. But uh, unfortunately, when the uh, COVID came last year, it had been uh, a lot of much, much more easier when we get our uh, letter out uh, summer last year. We had uh, globally one more than uh, 200 people sign it. But again, unfortunately, not so many from Scandinavia still. We have a few, but uh, yeah, uh, no good news from here. <laughs> yeah, sorry to say that. <laughs> we are, we are yeah. the same, you know, it's globally much more the same. I calculated earlier that I think we can have uh, something like 5% of the wealthy people with us. But uh, that's also pretty good if we can get that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't, I wonder, um, you know, there's no right answer to any of these questions, you know, that well, it, it shows you the failure of philanthropy right there. Your philanthropy towards getting rich people to support higher taxes uh, has been a failure, has been a failure. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be much better if we could just tax them to uh, <laughs> towards that end. <laughs> but, but, but I think our voice is extreme, extremely important because 
when we go out and talk, we really activate the general population in our countries. And when we do that and we go through uh, the social media and get uh, all that people behind us, they actually go out and vote for the right people to go into our parliaments. So I think it's extremely important and the media love the rich people to talk about this. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that's why Millions for Humanity Network that we started last year is getting so well off because uh, we're getting members uh, every week and people just love it, you know. So I think a few from 5% of, of, of the, the top rich people going out and saying what we are saying really can activate millions of people below who can go actually and vote the right people inside our government. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you class traders make a great story. Yeah. I love that. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I can tell you, it's not, not being one of the really rich people in this conversation, how incredibly useful it is to have people like you and Nick uh, out there making this argument because you're taken seriously in, in a way that somebody like me just would not be. You're totally right, because as I said before to Nick, he really inspired me when I saw him first time uh, five years ago and what he was doing. So he's uh, definitely one of those who had inspired me to do what I'm doing. And I just from 2015, 16, been 100% only doing this and not uh, out and make normal business and earn money because I can't do that anymore because I have to do something for my children and also and the next generation. Oh, so did you sort of retire from uh, your business work, your business stuff? I work 90% in the foundation and 10% with my people about the normal business, business. Yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. Interesting. Me too, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but the interesting thing is that the business is going better than before. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I mean it. <laughs> There's a lot there. So. <laughs> no, because it means it's just incredible how people are checking against this. That hey, everything we do, ninety percent go to the foundation to go, to do good in extreme poverty and so on and so on. So it's like people coming all together and working harder, and it just you know get sense of all of it to do the right thing, you know, and to just uh, help that you're next. Uh, that's really interesting. That's good. Good for you. So did you, I have to ask, did you grow up in a civic family? I mean, did was public service and the, these sorts of things a part of how you were raised? Yeah, I was raised by, by my mother and I was with my three brothers and one sister in Copenhagen. We just go to public school, just totally normal uh, living. Uh, so uh, yeah, because, you know, we have the right, uh, what you say, the same opportunities that every kid in Denmark yeah. to go to the school and university and everything because all of it was free. And the state helped my mother to get a job and so on. But, I mean, did you start doing, you know, this sort of political activism as a younger person or is this relatively new for you? I will say that I got inspired by Shekhovara and at a young age. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I have it printed on my back, actually. <laughs> so I always fight for justice and uh, for poverty. My belief is that the, the people are beautiful, all of them. It doesn't, doesn't matter where they are living. But the, some of the systems that we have today uh, has to be changed, you know, to serve the common good and leave no one behind and so on. Yeah. No, for sure. What are the focuses of your foundation? 
uh, other than this? Like what, what else are you working on? Uh, the focus is if you have two pillars in our foundation when you started, one is we make uh, normal uh, philanthropic work. We make schools, orphanage, uh, health in some countries in Africa and so on. But our main uh, project is uh, our move humanity uh, that going out to say 1% wealth tax on the rich. Mm-hmm. And uh, com- and uh, to support that, we started uh, Millionaires for Humanity last year to advocate for a 1% wealth tax. Do we want to get to the final question, Nick? Absolutely. Go for it, Goldie. Okay. Uh, we ask this of all of our guests. Why do you do this work? I do this uh, first because this is the right thing to do. The second is the society, the generations that have built the system. It's normal for me to give back at least a system that is not worse than when I got it. And then I have two children, you know, and my daughter also gave me two grandchildren. So I have to look them in the eye and say, I try to do the best I could and leave uh, something behind that was uh, maybe not better. It's too late. We have the, done two bad things the last four decades, but uh, we can try to fix it. And I think it's possible because we have all the means and we have the technology for it. We just need the human will to come together. So, and the last thing is, uh, I always get more happier by uh, giving, you know, and not only taking. And that yeah. has made me happier, my family happier, my children happier. And since uh, when we got all in from 2015, I would say myself and my, head, and my family had never been happier than we are today. So that is one of the things I want to give to rich people and say, come on, go out and try it. You have nothing to lose, but extremely much to gain. And happiness is one thing every person has planted it running for every day. So that is one way to do it, just by giving and do it good. I love that. I love that. Well, Jafar, thank you so much for being with us today. And thanks for your incredible work and leadership on these issues. I know it can be lonely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, I, I'm very happy to be here and uh, very grateful that I got in touch with you. And yeah, let's see what we can do together in the future. I love it. I have to say, I, I've been to Denmark and it is a beautiful country and yeah. there are no people on the streets. Yeah. It was no, it's fantastic. You know, living on the streets, I should say. There's lots of people yeah. on the streets. It's a beautiful country. And and um when I was in my twenties, I went and did the backpacking through Europe thing and spent about a week uh with a family in uh in central Denmark. And, you know, he was an engineer, not rich like you, but you know, professional yeah. class, kind of like the way, you know, yeah. I was raised. My father was a doctor and, you know, they they had a modest but well-appointed house. And I asked them at the time, you know, what they paid and they paid like 60, 70 percent in taxes and were perfectly happy with it. You know, it was a well-ordered country. The The infrastructure was great. Uh, everybody had health care taken care of. Their kids had a couple kids around my age, gone to college for free. And when they graduated college, if they wanted to be an artist, they could uh, get a little uh, subsidy for an apartment and there'd be jobs for them. Right. And there wasn't the type of 
uh, insecurity and stress that goes along with being an American. For sure. And, you know, the truth is that we're probably not going to end up in a country as egalitarian as Denmark. No. Uh, but the truth is, Goldie, you don't have to have tax rates at 60 or 70 <laughs> percent. You know, if we raised taxes on all income to 45 percent and reinstated some reasonable corporate tax rates and closed all the international loopholes mm -hmm. and did a bunch of stuff around wages, right? Raise the minimum wage and, you know, uh, impose a, a reasonable overtime threshold, two or three other things. 90% of these problems would melt away. We don't have to go all the way to Denmark to make a to create an economic system that is radically more inclusive than the one that we have today. Uh, and it would not include a huge amount of trade-off for the wealthiest citizens or the biggest corporations. Just right. wouldn't. And, and, and I just want, I also want to add a little, uh, a little support for higher taxes from somebody who's not a member of the super rich. And you, you know, Nick, that before I went to work for you, I'd spent the previous decade uh, as a uh, blogger and mm -hmm. activist and alt-weekly journalist, and I did not make a lot of money. And it was, it was a struggle. And I got to tell, and you pay me much more generously mm -hmm. than blogging for free did or working at a newspaper did. And I got to tell you, it is so much better to pay taxes than not to pay taxes. It is great. I mean, the <laughs> fact that that I pay substantially more taxes than I did seven years ago, oh my God, my life is so much better because it means I'm making more money. Yeah, no, and, it's all good. <laughs> so thank you, Nick, for making me pay more taxes. There we go. Well, it, it has made my life a lot more secure and less stressful <laughs> yep. uh, than it was before. So, Nick, count me as one of Jafar's happy taxpayers. There you go. <laughs> me too. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and Nick Hanauer. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. As always, from our team at Civic Ventures, thanks for listening. See you next week.